So today we're going to be talking about gender nonconformity, what it is, and my claim that it's misunderstood. I mean, it is misunderstood on many levels, from many sides. It's a very misunderstood phenomenon in yes. general. So was that a good cold opening? It was. Okay. We're getting a... Uh, and sorted with the club. And I've lost the battle on the whether vaping is allowed during the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. My powers of persuasion are not that great. Jen wants to be in the BBC. It's just ah. not that kind of production. <laughs> <laughs> okay, as long as people are used to this, it's fine. So anyway, my thought is that I think gender nonconformity is really understood, uh, sorry, really misunderstood even by majority of feminists because I think it's just seen at the symbolic level of what you wear yeah. and, and what your hair is like and how you present yourself. And whilst... Aesthetically. Aesthetically. Yeah. Through aesthetic choices and sometimes consumption choices um, or what people will claim, I don't know, to be good at sometimes. Well, you know what people will say they value about themselves. Yes. So a lot of time if you ask a woman, and I've had this answer from every feminist I've ever asked except one, what do you have to offer in a relationship? They, they, every woman I've ever asked has said cooking, cleaning, and sex. Mm-hmm. Radical, lesbian, separatists have all given me this answer. Right. So my, but, so my point is, let's put that aside. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't choose your ideological values or what you're valued for. But you're a mm-hmm. feminine subject if that is what you believe is valuable about yourself. Right. Right. And we can see how that fits perfectly with patriarchy because this is then what men are told to value in women and look for and so on and so on. And this can benefit women. Benefit are be- that's the that they get the most material benefit from women giving yes. them those things. Yeah. So men are trying women are trying to say regardless look, of whether or not men hold that because you would ask men and say, What do you value women for? They'd be like, I think some who in their honest might give that answer, but others might be offended by you know, but regardless of whether or not a man says well, that he values Well, a lot it. of men who would say, oh, her intelligence or that she's a hot chick or whatever it may be, that's all because they already think that baseline yes. has been met, which right. is right. servitude inside the home and sexual access, which is basically non-negotiable. But then I also want to make the point that feminists are always talking about, oh, women are wanted as sex slaves Statistically, no one's fucking after seven years. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it's a short-term arrangement yes. a lot of the time until people, I don't know, become companions or do other things or break up or whatever it may be. I don't know what the outcomes are after that. but Have affairs. They have affairs to keep the original relationship that they're actually invested in going. Yes. So they outsource read, sex. People should read that book. The State um, of Affairs. By Esther Perel. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, prostitution, porn, whatever. Or, I don't know, like, I guess masturbation. But there's certainly it's not the case that women are just getting fucked relentlessly through a marriage over a lifetime. No. They're getting fucked enough for a couple kids. Yeah. And historically, I think that's how it worked. And it makes sense under those logics, right? That mm-hmm. you don't have sex till you're married, so you're desperate to have sex when you are married. Then, oh, there you go. You produce some kids over the next couple of years, at least. So anyway, I want to put aside that people can't choose their ideological values and they can't choose who they are. I get it. But because of this, I think there is a... I think that actually there is a kind of, whether it's conscious or not, there is um, people register that that's true... There's then all this 
emphasis on the symbolic. That's what it would be called within post-structuralism. I don't mean in a Lacanian way, but something that is symbolic, right, of femininity. Mm. They would say, oh, long hair or titivating yourself in a certain way or makeup or wearing a dress or wearing pink, like these kind of... And women who make like this huge deal about stopping those kinds of practices are generally women who really valued them before. Mm. So some of the most masculine women I know are straight, normie women who are just in their 40s and don't try as much anymore. And do not give a fuck anymore. And do not give a fuck anymore. <laughs> but for the women who make a huge deal of, oh, I cut my hair, oh, I stopped wearing makeup, oh, I went out. To- Sweetheart, don't put your laptop on the cooker. But there's nowhere else to put it. Give it to me. I will move it. I'll move it. <clears throat> okay. This is a thousand pound plus piece of equipment. You can't put it on the gas cut anyway. Sorry. Anyway, I was saying for the women who make a really big deal out of um, cutting their hair or, oh, I went out of the house for the first day without makeup or I stopped wearing makeup or I shaved my head or I stopped wearing a bra. It's for women who, for women who make a big deal out of that, it was a huge deal for them. They really relied on it. Because they really valued it. And then what what there tends to have happened is they realized it wasn't the golden calf they thought it was. Right. Right? That it wasn't like, it was like your ticket to the ball, but then you had to perform quite well at the ball. And they were like, no, wait, what? I, I think a lot of them failed with that strategy. And so they become disenchanted. And then they are quite angry about, well, that didn't work. And I've, I've you know, there's been a ruse. Yes. Um, but the thing is, the thing that I find really odd is, I, don't, I know that all of society just reads people that way a lot of the time. You look at how someone looks or how they walk or how they seem or whatever. And I just find that it can't be, the, I mean, look, this word symbolic it is symbolic of something else. And if we spend all our time just focusing on symbolism of, so like, quote unquote, femininity, um, we don't then look at what that actually is. Right. So it's so much more beneficial to look at structures, material and ideological, you know, ways that society is reproduced or or whatever. And I I just, I find it that there's been a a concession to this post-structuralist turn or the shift from structuralism to post-structuralism and it was around the time of the second wave. And at that point, radical feminists said they basically signed up to post-structuralism. Yes. They signed up to language being magical. Mm. Like, I don't call trans women she. No. Because I, I think it's bullshit. I, I, like, I'm not going to, like, given the consequences now, I'm not going to. Right. Ten years ago, I would have been like, yeah, fine, whatever. But precisely because I knew it didn't make a man into a woman. No, and I've had people, like, apologize to me for doing it or whatever. Or um, I've used the term trans woman and and then trans women, so-called, also known as men. People get upset with me. But it's like calling them a kind of woman doesn't actually make someone no, a woman. That's not- but also category, societal categories are not made at a micro-interactionist level. Yes, exactly. So because of that, because there's been this turn where... Um, particularly lifestyle, cultural feminists like political lesbians and those who think feminism is a, a lifestyle rather than a politics. Cultural feminists. Cultural feminists uh, in a broad, like so the broad term. Yeah. Those individuals do believe that at a micro level, that's your only starting point. 
yeah. for not in the, and therefore you foreclose politics mm. you just do things that are technically political so this idea that you can reconstruct yourself you can be a lesbian you just shave your head or like get a non-haircut haircut mm. so what seems to be what happens um and you put on some like men's clothes or combat boots combat boots and it's like look this just doesn't mean anything no. It, and it doesn't change the world, and in fact, it doesn't really change your world very much either. And I find what's really... Unless you're the kind of woman for whom that stuff meant a lot. Well, yeah, exactly. If you're the kind of woman who saw your performance of femininity to mean, like, your material security, which I think is a, is a lot of women do feel that way about it, very feminine women, it mm. would be a big change. But that's a change for your personal growth. But, the, but, the not... st- but still this idea that... Like, it would have to follow all the way through. So, like, I have some friends that are very feminine. They will get Botox. They will wear makeup. They'll dye their hair blonde. And they would they would never leave the house without makeup, right? Those women are not very feminine in the character. Well, and this is and the, they're not very successful with men because of it. Well, this is the, this is the difference. So, when we point out, um, when I've pointed out, when feminists point out, the, the, like, the harmful nature of these kinds of beauty practices... Um, like beauty practices that cause pain, that are dangerous, whatever, um, then it becomes a conversation about policing different women's clothing choices and outfits and how, who wears what or whatever. None of that matters more than the actual actions that you do in your life and your character. And, and who you actually are. And who you actually are. Like, I know women, like Jen just said, who are very aesthetically feminine, but are very not feminine in a way that actually can reproduce like patriarchal social relations yeah so a lot of them don't want to be wives don't want to be mothers yeah basically uh find it hard to get on with men because they really want they insist on it's not just insisting on equality they will do things like have too much banter with men they'll have a car that is better than the man's they'll know more about football men generally find these things turn-offs right traditional men i think the first time i ever met someone i met a woman who had a bit of a radical feminist understanding of the world whether she knew it or not was this i worked at this cafe and this woman owned this cafe and she was just a waitress and had saved all her tips and bought this cafe franchise and she only hired women to work at the cafe and I said, why, why, why not hire a man? I asked her one day, why not hire a man? She said, oh, well, men just, just leave. Mm-hmm. What would be the point in that? They don't have any loyalty. They don't have any loyalty to me. I can't make them stay. They don't value me. Why would I? They're not, not going to value my business. Why would I hire men? And this was a woman who had lots of plastic surgery, who dyed her hair blonde, who was in the gym three hours a day. But she, but she had this kind of radical feminist understanding. I've met women with shaved heads and combat boots who can't, who do not have that level of understanding and we would never start a business and just hire women. So, but even that just are very feminine. Yes. Our, if their focus is relationships. Yeah. That's how they view their world. It's not about professional progression or projects or where have I been and what goals have I met or, or whatever it is. It's just really, what relationships do I have? How are my relationships? C- classic femininity. Yeah. That women can only proceed through in, in relation to other people and that yes. you're determined in part or fully by your relationships with other people. And you'll meet a woman, yeah, who, you know, uh, does all of the classic uh, feminine beauty standard things, 
she won't be feminine at all. No. <laughs> no, and I, I'm against the beauty industry. I'm against the cosmetic surgery industry. Yeah. I'm against making money on an, literally an industrial level off of women's like self-esteem and insecurity. And I'm against the social systems that reinforce those industries. You know, Bur Bo Burnham has a really interesting joke where he did earlier in his career where he was like, women read the magazines, feel bad about themselves, go listen to pop music that makes them feel good about themselves, realize they can never have the pop star, read the magazines to make them mm -hmm. feel around and around and around and around and around. I'm obviously against this, these sorts of practices and I'm against the beauty industry in general. I'm against how it really values youth and all of those things. But what we can't do is make the aesthetic politics. This yeah. is a kind of fascism, really. Was it Gramsci who's, who said that fascism is... A, is um, oh, the fascism um, um, like, uh, aestheticizes politics. Yeah. Just and the left... <laughs> Yeah, and it assesses aesthetics, something like that. Yeah, I think this. I'm not calling women who do this fascists, to be clear, but it's not a good political turn to make. And I see young women on Twitter going, "I'm a radical feminist, but I insert beauty practice here." Can I still call myself a radical the, feminist? The reality is, it just doesn't matter. No. This is the thing: the individual I hate to be a fucking communist about it just doesn't really matter what no. individual choices you do and what you consume but this is when you know that people don't know what politics is so when people say lesbian you know like feminism is a theory um lesbianism is the practice it's, it's like okay but not of politics so the way i try and explain it is like so the personal is what you eat at home the political would be shall i be vegetarian okay i'll be vegetarian this isn't politics. Politics has to interact with something else than yourself, has to interact with a structure um, or community. Can't just be you and your four friends in a cult. No. The politics of being a vegetarian would be, I'm going to do a campaign so that there are vegetarian options in all of my local schools. Or against the meat industry. Or, or against the meat industry. This would be vegetarian politics. It is not politics. No. What goes in your mouth isn't politics. One of the things that radicalized me as a young person to the left, to, to socialism, really, and to a political life. And has stayed with me my whole life, as someone said to me, like, spirituality, personal growth, um, art, all of these things are great, but nothing makes a difference in the world in a really meaningful way like politics does. It's the only way to make a difference, really. Mm. And that's what we have to come down to. If something's good for your personal growth, if you stop being insecure every day and stop having to wear makeup out of the house every day... I think that's great. Good for you. I think there's lots of feminist books about it, but I don't, it's not politics. No. You're not participating in and it. And there's a misunderstanding in large swathes of radical feminism yeah. that feminism is self-help. Yes. And when I've tried to explain to women, feminism is not about women's happiness, mm. not your happiness, not the women around you's happiness. It's about women's social conditions. Yeah. And people's happiness is not fully based on their social conditions. No. They just look at you like, well, what do you mean this isn't a present for me? Yeah. Yeah. It's not a present for you. Yeah, yeah. Why would it be? And at that point, you start to see that they're, they're less interested, basically. Yeah. Because there is now, because we're fucking trapped in neoliberalism or whatever, this consumer um, you know, service model or like commodity consumption model. Right. Yeah. And this is why when I've you know been at feminist events, lots of women will treat the organizers of those events like dog shit. Yeah. And you think, 
why but it's because they're like well i bought a ticket but that doesn't mean that yeah. you can be like this like we're all here together we're meant to be all participating like for fuck's sake they're doing their best they just see it as a customer service experience yeah and you know there is this certain entitled middle-class person not always a woman yeah you've met right it's mm-hmm. like the women that use not had jobs and there, yeah, are, yeah. there are a huge amount of middle class women that I know throughout Creme that, that have never, that don't work or never have. Or worked very briefly or worked in a very kind of padded um, environment. And have or... often relied on a man or something, but they, they've not, their own money, they have access to capital basically, and they haven't yeah. had to work. And therefore, they don't actually glean the forms of knowledge that you get from experience, like the woman who saved up all her tips as a waitress and bought a cafe. Yeah. If you speak to the average working class woman, she is more, more radical feminist in her views than a radical feminist by random. Someone who says I'm a radical feminist. Yeah. Honest, honestly, if you speak to them about single sex spaces, they're like, what? And no. I have a story of course to tell. I, of course I'm not having men in my changing rooms. What? And I have a story to tell about that cafe that's really completely enough as such a radical feminist action but it would be so anathema to so many radical feminists because it would involve being harsh or disagreeing or whatever. So there was this little 18-year-old who worked at the cafe and she started dating this boy, man, very young man, um, and he sold drugs. She started talking about how he sold drugs at the cafe. What kind of drugs? I mean, marijuana wasn't okay, serious. All right. But then she was also using ecstasy and partying and doing whatever. Yeah. And the owner of the cafe just said, if you don't stop seeing him, I will fire you. Wow. I don't, I don't care. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about how you're fucking up your life with weed. Fuck off. You're not going to work here if you... That, that for her actually propelled her into like better personal growth. And yeah. she had to look at herself and go, what's more important to me? My personal growth or my job or a man. Yeah. And she chose the job. A radical feminist would never say this to another woman. Well, they might, but what we're trying to say is it's not considered part of femininity to be direct like that and give people ultimatums. And a lot of the time, what happens in radical feminism is there's a construction of a hierarchy based on femininity of the... um, of the personal quality kind. Yes. Like respectability, reputation, I'm an ethical virgin, I'm a purist. Yeah. I won't sit next to Carson Tucker on the TV because he's got cooties. This just goes back to like school yeah, where they're like, why are, you, why are you sat at school with like the sad kids yeah. on the nerd table? Yeah. I don't know because if I do, it doesn't mean a fucking thing about me. Mm. It goes back to this girliness. Yeah. The, the last time I saw it before radical feminism was when I was about 11. Yeah. And it's if you're friends with them, you can't be my friend. And again, it's this, this is this feminine, and it's just it's femininity. This idea that you are defined by anybody but you. Yeah. Now I know we're defined by the structures around us, but you can be self determined, right? Yeah. This is why people believe Philip Schofield when he comes out as as gay at seventy. This is a British TV presenter, um, but they wouldn't believe a woman who comes out at seventy and goes actually. Funnily enough, this whole time I've been gay. Yes. Right? So she doesn't get to... But again, I don't want to reduce it to words where it's like naming yourself and no, no, no. It's like, no, no, no. It's that actually there's a cognitive barrier here. Yeah. And it's rooted in politics. It's rooted in history and ideology and control over women. And back to the original point, I think that people are really confounded, including many feminists, when the things that they consider femininity, like... I don't know if a woman 
wears makeup or does her nails sometimes, whatever, um, they are confounded when then, like the things we're saying, that woman is got a lot of masculine interests, like football yeah. or cars or whatever. And I would say that from myself, you get read as gender non-conforming based on how you dress and I guess your hair. And then people are really freaked out when I reveal to them, like, no, I'm really much more interested in, in people over things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm interested in ideas, but I really just like listening to people all day about themselves or the problems. And I want to get a job doing that eventually. And I really like children and I want to have a baby. They just look at me like, like I am declaring that I'm a Martian. And they're like, and you'd like to carry it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. They just, they just can't believe it. Well, I'm thoughtful about Christopher Latch's um, culture of narcissism, which was really an exploration of what happened after free love and kind of the fallout of the 1960s and the 70s and 80s, when people became obsessed with self-help and reinventing themselves and therapy and yoga, and it became this complete obsession with recreating the self. Yeah. And the self became the ultimate authority over any kind of other moral structure. It became the domain and it became the limit of what you can do. Yes. So there's no point going to political meetings and fighting for something because it won't work. Yes. And this was off the back of the failures of social movements. Yes. And I'm not saying this either to say, okay, go ahead and participate in that horrible beauty practice that makes you feel shit and is exploitative or whatever. But you have to know if you stop participating in it, you're not doing political action. No. No. And your taking politics into the realm of the self is what killed feminism. Yep. It's what brought about transgenderism. Yep. It's what brought about the porn the online pornography industry. Because when when radical feminists who had these radical ideas about pornography, um, intercourse, um, transgenderism, when they picked up this stuff where it became all about the self, all of that action effectively ended. Right. And you could tell me, oh, no, we were doing meetings about this in 97. Well, look at the situation around you. Clearly, it didn't work, whatever work you were also, doing. Also, it would be a lie. I mean, I was a, an undergrad in the mid-2000s. All of our essays were about, are we living in a post-feminism? Because right. there was no feminism to be seen. Right. Like, there was just um, a void and a space for, you know... Judith Butler's ideas to come along. I and mean, it's not like there was competition. And again, they're all speaking the same language. Judith Butler says, we're making the world around us all the time. And she really, you know, this whole essay was the magic of performativity, um, magic of speech and all of this. It's this idea that speech is action. And if you say you're a man, sorry, if you're a man, you say you're a woman, then you're really changing the world. Yeah. And the reality is you're not. But this, by the same token, we shouldn't then buy into this linguistic kind of uh, idea that, that words are power. They're not power. Power is power. Yeah. And that's it. And the, one of the reasons that we think, oh, no, no, but we'll just, we'll just go around the edges and, you know, change some words a little bit. That's because you don't have any power. <laughs> to, yeah. You don't actually have any real power. So we're thinking of other avenues but, it, you know, it's because it's really hard nowadays to build political power. I get it. Projects are just get smashed. Mm. I mean, look what happened to, um, you know, look for ramen in East London. For anyone who wants to look that up or reach out to me about it, happy to have a conversation. It was a 
group of local people who decided to form their own party that was not a mainstream and they were to the left of all the uh, other political parties. And well, I mean, basically they were taken to court and destroyed, but they've come back seven years later, thankfully. But the state, like, fortunately, I'm not an anti-statist, but the state in these circumstances in our time will come for you if you're doing radical politics that are successful. And the reason the left is really ignored and the reason that a lot of feminism, until recently, gender-critical feminism in the UK, it wasn't successful. Mm. Gender-critical feminism in the UK is actually successful. Yeah, it's been much more successful than any other kind of action of its kind or movement of its kind in this particular kind of feminism for a long time. We have yet to win the war, so I'm not... The thing is, as um, well, is there is something about... without Because we don't want to knock it completely. I would say to women, mm. it's not a political principle, but your life will probably be better if you don't live with a man. Maybe it will be better, but for most women it wouldn't. But that is not politics. It's just good advice. All, well, And also, I think the other argument is who are you going to take more seriously about these principles? A woman who is living by them in her personal life or a woman who isn't? Well, this is why so they all hide their personal lives. But for a PR, <laughs> well, I mean, they're not doing any real politics. Right, right, But right. for example, if you're, yeah, a vegetarian activist and someone finds out you eat meat, it's you're less likely to be credible. So mm. from this perspective, but I think we really need to like hone in on what femininity actually is. So we've talked about the aesthetic and we can say that the aesthetics, I believe that thing of the aesthetics of femininity all come back to um, being they're, sexually available or being... Um, they're, sim- they're symbolic of women's submission. Yes. But it's not women's submission in itself. Something else is that, you know, that it is symbolic of. Right. And what it is, I think, I think the best kind of theory of this... And it's unfortunate that it gets buried because she she wasn't a radical feminist. Um, she was a, a quite a, a liberal feminist, to be honest, in the her in the action that she did in Who her life. Who say Betty Friedan? Okay. Um, in uh, Betty Friedan, in her book uh, *The Feminine Mystique*, really outlines very carefully a theory of femininity, which I think is really robust, actually, and really makes a lot of sense, much more than a lot of radical feminist stuff I've read. And what's her theory of femininity? Basically, it's infantilization. Yeah, right. It's a removal of responsibility and a, ret- a continual return to childhood um, again and again and again. It's the removal of autonomy, of, of um, an ad- removal of an adult body, and then removal of the kind of signs of adulthood and proper adjusted development. Yeah. That's how she defines femininity. She's, she's right. And I think she has the best theory of it. If you're, and, and this is what, if you're someone who really believes like we're conditioned in a patriarchal society and we have to work to undo this conditioning, then the most important conditioning to undo is this infantilization and this avoidance of responsibility. Yeah. How many women have I tried to get to go to protests who won't go to protests with me or organize events and won't organize events with me or do things or, or, or participate in organizing events at all because it, avoid, it, it, it involves some responsibility. How many women want to do this kind of activism and remain anonymous so they're irresponsible of the actual consequences? consequences? If you really believe that, worry less about hair dye and, and nail polish and worry more about your sense of responsibility, yeah. frankly, and ha- how you infantilize yourself. Yes. One of the things that start, I started to understand, and it was by um, being in contact with, I have to say female separatists, but some of them would call themselves lesbians, but ostensibly aren't. 
Um, well, all right. Or aren't. Or aren't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a friend of mine, when I would tell her the kind of behaviors female separatists would do, sort of women in their 30s having sleepovers, right. um, being re- you know asexual basically because they just have like a hidden husband somewhere, but really looking down on you know, anyone that does dating or anyone that wants a partner, any women that looking for a partner. Um, Veganism. Well, the, the food dieting regimes, um, but that's more to do with ethical purity, right? right? Being an ethical virgin, right? So in, in, in 1505, you had to be a virgin. Today, you just need to be an ethical virgin. Right. Um, but so, yeah, it's femininity. But the, the real girliness that astonished me was drawing like pictures and sending them to each other or saying like, I had one woman tell me she wanted to make a, like a fort with my bed and like eat sweets in the fort and read comics with a torch. And I was like, really? I just thought we might shag and like watch, watch some Netflix after. Like, isn't this what people do in bed other than sleeping? Um, so this, and it made me realize it's because once those women had decided I'm not going to engage in heterosexual life and they saw it as just like becoming a wife and mother, which are the forms of responsibility that women are allowed. Right. They regressed to a kind of prepubescent, time or those and they engaged in those activities i remember checking with a friend of mine i was like is it normal for women in their late 20s and early 30s to kind of sit around not drinking alcohol in a living room in the evening like sort of doing karaoke and maybe playing a game and that's your like that's instead of a night out and my friend said no that's what we all did till we were 14 and then that's that's your that's what you do before you go out the amount of um, radical feminists I've met who have made a point of acting um, superior because they do not drink alcohol recreationally, yeah. it's, a, it's a huge amount. Um, and it is just because it's a marker of adulthood. And maybe you're so freaked out by having a shaved head and wearing combat boots <laughs> that you have to then do this kind of other feminine performance, which really involves infantilization. And it's the same thing with this... Um, uh, that's triggering the trauma. I, I don't have. To I don't use, feel comfortable don't with what feel you're comfortable saying with to me. What you're saying to Who me? put your comfort anywhere in this conversation? Yeah. What? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You can't yeah. just demand this. It's as if like someone's a parent and needs to like treat you in a certain way or coddle you as if you're yes. seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that a lot of a lot of that kind of behavior comes from a, a good heart. I remember one woman in a radical feminist context, I helped like move some stuff around because I'm tall and often I end up being the one who lifts things. I forget what it was particularly. Despite having a bad back. Despite having a bad back, which I don't mention or complain about. But um, she was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry. We're only using your physical labor. And I just kind of thought, oh, that's kind of a nice thing to say. And I think it's this like weird culture of, um, coddling, which can feel very supportive to women. I think for women who are like leaving prostitution or who are women who are in like a domestic like violence kid shelter, like this, this kid glove stuff. But it's when this kid glove stuff becomes everything. And it becomes, no, it becomes um, a demand of entitlement by very privileged women. Yeah. The kind of women that I just think, oh, this is a normal woman, maybe a bit middle class, whatever. I find out is like from. Uh, yeah, it's never worked because they have access to capital or like parents are multimillionaires or like is it basically a member of the international elite? And then I start to think, oh, hang on a minute. 
that demandingness was just from entitlement because she's used to this. Right. And then when you contrast that um, with the normal, ordinary working class GC movement, all of those women that would be saying that they're decon, you know, the female separatists would say they're deconstructing femininity are so much more feminine and girly than the GC women in Scotland that just go out on the street every weekend. Yeah. Right? They're actually doing politics. And I just, I want to say that my theory of femininity, um, I agree with Betty Frieden, but I really think that it's hard for people to then discuss, okay, what are the qualities? So indirectness, feeling that you can't be direct. This is very bound to class. Women are generally more feminine the higher up the class structure you go. Until you get so high, you have so much money, it doesn't matter. And posh women can be very blunt. But yeah. generally, it's all the, 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 the further you go up. Indirectness, because you're not allowed to be direct, right? Yeah. You're policed. So, and your speech is policed. So you have to, and, and you even um, your relationship to power can't be direct. So a lot of women will think they can only act through a man's say. So indirectness, passivity, but by that I mean passive aggression. Yeah. Um, I don't just mean lolling around all day being passive or something but yeah passivity and then that includes all of the childlike activity or like behaviors yeah that we've mentioned and uh i see that and yeah i see those things everywhere really and then the other dynamic will be trying to set up a feminine hierarchy through purity I'm a better feminist than you are because of my the, the claims I make about how I live, which are yeah. usually lies, yeah. to be clear. Um, and then the the weird or like, or I'm just superior because I am left wing. This is another thing, which is just mad to me. And they often won't be left wing at all. No, they would, no. They would never call themselves like a socialist no. or something no. because that's a dirty word and it's about being clean and pure and then this feminine hierarchy is set up. Age comes into it a lot, pulling rank about age. And it becomes actually mother-daughter dynamics. I know better because I'm older. Listen to your mother. And pupil governess. You're thick. Like The amount of feminists that sometimes oh, yeah, have told me, like, you should you should um, read these books. I'm like, I've read them all. I just don't agree. The, the governess-pupil thing is a big thing. Yeah. And I tweeted about the age dynamics and radical feminism and got some serious shit for it. But, like, I... It's something I've noticed a lot and people were like, provide an example. I'm like, okay, like assuming I haven't read anything. When I arrive at an event, handing me like a menial task to do. Um, not introducing themselves to me, but introducing themselves to every other woman in the room. Like I can go on and on and on. I think that I as an individual have met read more radical feminist literature than any single person. I am convinced. <laughs> I am convinced I've read the whole You you have certainly one of me. I think I've read basically the whole the whole um canon of the second wave. I have a few things left, but I've read it all. I know what I'm I, I know I know your theory. And when and then this constant really it's really alienating to young women when you show up at an event and the whole thing becomes about a nostalgia fest about yeah. where you were in 1975 and you have a woman born in the early 90s or the late 80s looking around going the, oh okay there would be a way to do that if you were citing 1975 to talk about potential but then you'd have to talk about the failure and be like there has been a decline since 1975 and it's it's the same for you know class struggle this isn't just to make. Women feel bad that they dropped the ball, but they really fucking dropped the ball. Well, I'm perfectly happy with making them feel bad about dropping the ball. Well, I'm not saying it's exceptional, right? Or that they were just incompetent. A 
Uh, lots of other social movements also failed. I mean, trade unionism did not fail. Trade union class struggle power has definitely gone down since 1975 in this country. Uh, I, radical feminism does not exist. I know. Okay, I agree. Yes. Okay. And, and I also think people who are interested in um, perpetuating or propagating a political movement on the right, on the left, in bourgeois politics, in electoral politics, in everything. And there's a lot you can learn from observing people who are involved in bourgeois politics, by the way. Yeah. They they set up infrastructures for young people to join. There'll be a youth organization. There'll be events for people to go to. There'll be things. This is true across yes. in any kind but of... But they're political. interested in reproducing their politics. And when feminism became a lifestyle, they were not... Cultural feminism, they were not interested in reproducing it anymore. It's, this is our clubhouse. Yeah. You're an interloper. Who are you on the outside? We're suspicious of you. Yeah. And it becomes a tribalism. And I also have a theory that women, the reason women are more tribal than men is women don't have a society and yeah. women had to be tribal for thousands of years and centuries and centuries because if you were outside your tribe, you got fucking raped by the nearby men right. from another tribe and then they took you and bred you and whatever. Yeah. That's the reality. You can read about that reality um, in the early colonization of America, yeah. the Native Americans and the colonizers would steal each other's women. I have a friend whose grandfather was born in Afghanistan that would talk about his, uh, like, you know, like old tales, basically, of his older male relatives. It's, romantic, it's meant to be romantic, but clearly it's not that they stole some women from a nearby village and took them up a mountain. And they were all such big, burly alpha males that when they said, okay, women, you're free now, we've, we've made an agreement, they were like, no, we want to stay with you. <laughs> <laughs> My friend loves this story because he fancies himself a bit. Um, but yeah, and to to say about, um, well, well, that happens to you when you go to meetings because young women don't have status. And the it's also because young women are hated because they have youth that is not appreciated at the time and there are a lot of and it's not just women older people that look at young people and are very jealous of them particularly because youth is what men find attractive this is what i don't understand when older um feminists complain about being invisible i'm like you must just mean to men though a few have explained to me that it can be the same in the workplace but yeah. I mean, it's the same. I believe, when, that. It, I believe that, but it's the same when you're young. There seems to be a kind of peak time between maybe 35, 45 before you're not written off as too young and not written off as too old. You know, both are called, okay, well, you're too, you know, you're too uh, young to be competent, you're too old to be competent. But the bizarre hatred of young women and this pulling rank and saying you don't know anything because you're young is so strange to me yeah. because I've met 21-year-olds that have read all of Mark's yeah. Just, let's say, and I've met, you know, people that are in their 50s and 60s that haven't read any of it, and they've tried to pull rank on the 21-year-old. And I'm like, do you not know that person's, like, an obsession reader? And also, reader? are you not interested in continuation? Exactly. In in your movement growing. And convincing younger people to join you, because that's why reproduction matters, because as you get older, you will eventually die. Yeah. And there's no point um, sort of, you know, I don't know what it is, but it's it's to do with status. And so I find it really strange. Uh, you know, someone's even saying to me, oh, but youth, it's just what our society values. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's what men value. It's what men value. Please stop conflating men with everything in society. If we look, who is it that has less property in society? It's young people. It's Gen Zs, actually. Yeah. Who has the worst prospects? Gen Zs. 
who are like have the most mental health problems gen z's it's young people that are fucked and the idea that this would be kind of turned around like oh you won't listen to us uh, that's another thing they say oh we aren't listened to it's like no no you mean you're not agreed with yes this is very different and again this is another feminine thing not being able to handle disagreement i've seen so many things in feminism just fall apart because I've not even noticed because I just think disagreement is a normal part of the conversation, but a woman will disagree with another woman in a chat and then an email will be sent about how... Behind her back. Or sometimes, yeah, behind her back or sometimes including her, that will say, you attacked me. No, no, she disagreed with you. Yeah. Very mildly, actually. But again, the politics of politeness, the politics of femininity seem to determine everything in, in feminist separatism. Who is it that is self-organising? Okay, it's a form of separatism that is doing this successfully. It's working class, sometimes middle class too, gender critical women. Yeah. Who have lives and responsibilities and are basically just not like normal and not disturbed women and this kind that you often find in the more, what do we call it, marginal parts of... Well, feminism. I just... Yeah, and I just... I'm sick of it. I can't I can't keep up. And you find yourself accidentally, like, causing people stress. I remember the, in a radical feminist context once, this woman was wearing, like, a long skirt, like a maxi skirt. And it looked nice. And it looked comfortable. And what I... What is a maxi skirt? A skirt that literally goes from your hips down to, down to your, um, your ankles. Okay. Like a long skirt. All right. And I remember thinking, oh, I used to own one of those. It was really comfortable. I had a really nice summer where I just wore that particular skirt all the time. You just covered. I wish that I, yeah, I wish that I could have just kept that skirt. I really liked it. I remember they were really trendy in like 2013, 14. Anyway, so I said, oh, I really like your skirt. I used to have one just like that. Um, I don't know why I got rid of it. It was really comfortable and her face just went white. And I was like, oh. And then I was like, did I offend her? Whatever. It took a bit of time to realize mm. what had happened. She thought that I was giving a backhanded thing and was trying to feminist outrank her. Jesus Christ. And saying that you're wearing a skirt. This this um, hierarchy that's entirely based on aesthetics of who's the most radical in my experience. It's also based on what you claim about your domestic life. Right. And you hide your sons, you hide your husbands, and you claim to be a lesbian separatist. Right. It's also the feminine world of the private world of the home. Right. Right? It's it's fully confined. There mm-hmm. is no breach away from femininity attempted here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've had that where it was like a friend of yours that was like, oh, I'm scared to add Jill on Instagram in case she sees my photos yeah i was like you really don't worry about this (laughs) i couldn't for a second think about this or care and lots of my friends are incredibly feminine looking yeah and that's the thing that i want to be able to say to those women who think well i've got a non-haircut haircut i'm here in a kind of uniform that me and all my friends wear you're very feminine and it will come out in, there are some things that, you know, it is a person can't change. It is, it has been researched that if you make your voice very high, you have a very high mm-hmm. voice and everybody has a range, you're generally more feminine. So Japanese women's voices are much higher um, than they used to be uh, because society's gone that way there. Here in the West, voice, women's voices are lower because yeah. there's been a decline. No, there's a correlation. Yeah, there's a yeah. correlation. It's like... Yeah. 
No, like if you, again, like if what you're interested in is relationships, girly experiences, you have a very high voice, you, all you can really do is, yeah, talk about people and their relationships to each other. This is just classic femininity. And for all the baby rad fans who are freaking out about shaving their legs, I would say don't worry about shaving your legs. Go up to somebody in a work context and disagree with them. Yeah. This is what this is what a real test of femininity. Practice is. it. And practice not being defensive when someone disagrees with you. Like put I, your face on your radical feminist views on social media. Yeah. This is a lot more because it's about responsibility. Well, the thing is that's harder. That's why people resort to the two foot radius around them and what right. should I do with my body? And it's look, this is part of the constrictions in society now. It's very hard to make your way in the world, especially if you're young today. Mm-hmm. And so of course people start to think, well, I'll adopt this certain aesthetic or I'll decide to give myself a strange non-binary identity or I will or won't shave my legs but the reality is no one cares if you fucking shave your legs men do and it's only as much as you are interested in men liking you okay really do men would yes men would be like why is that hairy yes absolutely a hundred percent the thing is there's like videos on tiktok's women who stop doing it and they're like horrified boyfriends I also think there's an over-egging because there's so much emphasis about beauty practices. There's an over-egging about how harmful some of them are. But I don't want to defend them. Yeah. But there is an over-egging. I shaved my legs once when I was 15. It was fucking fine. <laughs> I just, yeah. Like, I don't understand. Like, it took three minutes. I know, but I think for women who become obsessive about it. Yes, like, I know some, I've known some women that have to do it every day yeah. before they leave the house. Don't be, don't. This is, this is crazy. Well, this is the other thing that Betty Freedom talks about is the neuroticism mm. about the self. This kind of obsession. But it's another neuro. it's exactly yeah, another neuroticism. Yeah. Like I, I don't know, fucking shave my armpits twice a year or something in the summer because it's more hygienic. By the way, all the men in the Muslim world are also doing it, guys. It's just hygienic. But don't go the other way because it's exactly the same thing where, again, you're constricted by femininity, you're preoccupied by it, and you're trying to get this this kind of thing right where you're like, okay, I won't do X, Y, and I won't moisturize. Moisturize if you want, it's good for your skin. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, then, you know, I've met women who think that, like, you know, not participating in these beauty practices when they meet you or I makes us very impressive and it's actually like the least impressive thing in the world it's an inaction rather than an action exactly you know a lot of i didn't i didn't realize before and i'm 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 grateful for this i guess i didn't realize how much some women were quote-unquote colonized by yeah men or men's expectations of beauty standards until i met um, the political lesbians who didn't just stop beauty practices, they stopped brushing their teeth mm. and they stopped using deodorant yeah. and stopped washing. And I didn't realize that some women were only doing that for men. Yeah. I just thought, don't you do that to be comfortable? Or, I don't know, so Your other women might fancy you and not be like, oh, are you stinking? It's antisocial to stink. It is. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you can get like rashes and infections, I guess. But like, then you're going to have teeth problems. I didn't realise, and you're right, that actually that's not the average woman. It's the women that thought, I'm playing by the rules, where is my man? Yeah. I'm brushing my teeth twice a day, being a good girl, where is my reward, whether it's a man or something else? And then when they didn't get that reward, they didn't get a good heterosexual deal, or they just didn't get a good deal in life, they think, well, I'm, I'm, 
I'm not going to do any of this anymore. Yeah. And they go too far the other way to the point of like, yeah, not washing or using deodorant or brushing your teeth. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. So the point is, is the aesthetics are only important in so much is that they're for your, I guess, for your own personal growth, but don't mistake it with actual. And by personal growth, like then even that word is quite navel-gazing. Your own health, right? How, no, how could I you think feel it's, your I, physical health? Well, I think it's more than that. I think that it has to do a lot with authenticity. Okay. If you're wearing a, a, a face that's not your face right, out into the world every day, mm-hmm. then I, I believe there is something to be said about authenticity. Yeah. When you don't feel like I need to actually physically paint on another face okay. before I go outside. But then but the going the other way and being like how you look doesn't matter is also a lie. And is is right. bullshit. Yeah. No, it will be factored in how you look to other people to a degree, but it's not everything. It's not your value. No. It's not just, you know, that's not the sum of your value. No. So Well, yeah, it's just value when they're based on their looks again. Yeah. If you are very anti-beauty standards. But the, the, the problem is, is people, women can't choose what they, what their values are. Yeah. And I just think that I've just seen so many women in distress because they've tried to, and it's not really always just, again, the, the details, the superficial things like whether they wear makeup. They've tried to adopt these lifestyles and it's made them really unhappy. And they've, I've had, yeah. I've had political lesbians cry to me about my ex-boyfriend that I broke up with has now had a baby with another woman is getting married. I'm devastated and I haven't been able to work for three months. Yeah. But if you wanted to be with him, you should have been with him. Like, this is, this is crazy. But expecting yourself to be happier, yeah, that was a wrong calculation. Sorry. And, and yeah, politics isn't about happiness. It won't. No. Doing, the, doing political action won't make you happy. Probably. It takes up a lot of your time and money. It means you can't always focus on things like your career and your relationships and your life, actually. And it's sacrifice and duty and ethics and things that are actually quite difficult. And there's just this kind of absolute lack of idea that there will be any sacrifice yeah. involved. Um, and this is where the anonymous accounts come on and, you know, you want your cake and to eat it too. It's like, no, like actually have some... Well, people refuse to pay for printing. Or people or refusing expect to, to be, pay for printing. Or expect to be paid for their, like, to design a flyer. It's just craziness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it is craziness. But look, we should all learn from the GC women on the streets in Scotland who are absolutely smashing it. I wanted to say, Lizzie Parker <laughs> had a really good um, comment about this kind of interwoman dynamic thing where she mm-hmm. was like, it's like having an audition for who could be the nicest person in the room. Oh yeah, and I thought that but was a great line. But it's also a fake. It's fake. It's completely false. It's can, who can look like the nicest person. Yeah, an audition. It's not who's the most generous. Yeah, or who is the most thoughtful, or who will uh, actually say yeah, you know, put themselves out for somebody or whatever. It is who's the goodest girl in the terms of girliness. Yeah, being enacted by adult women. Is, is just nuts. And I should say, again, why... I, it, it's the same kind of argument. I'm not so interested in what people say about themselves where they go, oh, I'm against femininity, and then they're doing it all the time in its entire value system. Or uh, the same way with Posey Parker. I don't care if she says, I'm not a feminist. Yeah. You're doing radical feminist work more than anybody I can point to in this country. 
Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Because you're going around saying any women can come speak at my event. And you're doing events. And you're doing They're events. Open to the public. Constant that. events. Um, you know, what was it you were telling me about? Like the UN is doing something. So she's like, oh, I'm going to go to Geneva and protest that. Look, you don't have to uh, agree with what somebody says, but I don't care what someone labels themselves. That's it. Ultimately, yeah. this world of this and what you go, well, I'm a radical feminist and I'm against femininity. We were having this conversation, I don't care. We were having this conversation the you. other day. I don't actually know what it means to be a radical feminist, to be one. Oh, it means doing radical feminist work, which is why Posey Parker is one. Whether she says, actually, I'm a mixture of car fumes and confetti i'll just go okay that's nice you're doing radical feminist work it, it, this is how politics has always worked before identitarianism took over everything the people that were involved in the egyptian revolution in 2011 did not call themselves revolution revolutionaries were they yes yeah posy parker can say i'm an anti-feminist and i'm a traditionalist that's nice but you're doing radical feminism and actually you know, kind of makes you a radical feminist yeah, it's not, I think, yeah, because I think there's so many ways to be, people consider that term. I think for a lot of people, it's a shorthand for a feminist who's against transgenderism, prostitution. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an analysis or it's meant to let people, it's to yeah. signal you have a series of positions that you're against porn, prostitution and transgenderism. And surrogacy. And surrogacy. And it's meant to be that then you have an analysis of that in a particular way. Again, on that level... Posey Parker is a radical feminist. But then it's meant to be, well, no, because then there's analysis and it's meant to be against traditional patriarchy, which ex-woman isn't. But honestly, it's just, I just care about your practice. I don't care about anything else. No. And that's really it. And if your practice is writing radical feminist articles, great. If your practice is having open events where any woman can co come and speak, fucking brilliant because women's speech is the number one thing that's controlled because if women spoke to each other they'd do action and that would be even worse for patriarchy like you can't be constantly acting against patriarchy on it on those terms so radically and, and it not add up to the you're doing radical feminist work and this, this fight against transgenderism is the fight of our lives yeah and we will lose everything this is the only thing that matters yeah um I'm sorry, I'm not, it's not to say that the struggle against prostitution or pornography or um, surrogacy is any less important in, like, in terms, in the, in the sum of human suffering or something. It's not about the level of suffering. Nothing will matter if we do not have women, w the word woman, nothing will matter if we don't have women existing as a, as a distinct legal sex class. We will lose everything. It is the fight of our lives. And I just want to say that it is not a left-wing tradition to not work with the right wing. It is the far left, and I'm writing an article about this for On The Woman Question at the moment, but let me say it now. It is the far left tradition. We invented the United Front, yeah. right? The Bolsheviks, the literal Bolsheviks of 1917 Russian Revolution developed it at the third and fourth Comintern of 1922, Right, They had successive conferences, November, December, and this was developed because they were like, how do we get the working class, the revolutionary sections to work with the reactionary sections? We'll have united fronts. The idea that it's left purism, I get that it, it's being 
presented that way in feminism that's left purism to say i won't go on carson tucker because he's a right winger tucker carson this... i gotta say it the second time you do it sorry all right tucker. sorry oh, i know it's that guy. american name so you're <laughs> yeah. struggling with it his name is tucker all right tucker carson carlson <laughs> carlson <laughs> i have watched this guy a lot um i really have but he uh it was it's always been the far left that we have said take every platform and you know, tony cliff of the socialist works party said if you stand on a pile of shit, your voice carries further. It has never been the case in the left wing to not go on every platform. The only platform is to not share it with a fascist. But by that, we mean an actual fascist. Not Tory poly party policies. <sighs> not the Republicans or Trump or just the general right wing. Like, no. let's have some political literacy here. In the There's, UK, yeah. there is no organised fascist force i think even the national front are defunct now that's why unite against fascism became stand up to racism because uaf of which i was a national organizer won basically and, and, and you know fascist groups fell apart through infighting and blah blah but the point is this has never been well this is part of the, the liberal delusion um because if the if the the main antagonistic force is fascism then they do not have to face what the main antagonistic force actually is, which is neoliberalism. And, and liberalism generally. And liberalism generally, but particularly neoliberalism, globalization, privatization, imperialism. Right. They're not actually against those things. So they have to construct a boogeyman. I'm not saying that fascism is not a significant threat or not something we should be mindful of or worry about. The biggest threat to working and poor people, the biggest threat to women is the neoliberal world order. That's the major antagonism that we're fighting against right now. And that transgenderism is, what, is a big part of that. And transgenderism is a big part of that. It's neoliberalism why we don't have healthcare. It's neoliberalism why we don't have housing. It's not Nazis. It's not <laughs> these These ghouls, these, these invisible Nazis that are running around. Well, it's like, it's like Tommy Robinson is an irrelevant crack figure. Trump isn't a fascist. Let's be serious. You would love him to be. He's not. He's a morally corrupt billionaire that gave massive tax cuts to himself and is a bit of a lunatic, but or a bit of, of a buffoon. I'm not sure he's a lunatic and that he's not crazy, but he's a buffoon. But the main force that we have to worry about now is mm -hmm. neoliberalism. And people don't want to say that because they are liberals. Yeah. Because they're actually not against um, NAFTA. They're not against NATO. They're not against um, globalization and privatization. And they're not against imperial wars. Mm. That's why they have to pretend that there is this fascist boogeyman. Why do you think someone like Owen Jones, who works for The Guardian, is putting anti-fascist in his bio? Yeah. Like, where are these fascists? Nowhere. Not in the UK, anyway. You could say neoliberalism is fascistic. And I would agree, and neoliberalism I mean, is totalitarian. You'd be wrong about the fascistic, I think. Totalitarian, yeah. maybe. If you, if you, I mean, this is getting... There's some you, pockets. If you get into the definition, definition of fascism as being state control aligned with corporate control, which is one kind of definition of fascism, fine. And maybe you can agree that neoliberalism has some fascistic traits and that you almost have a complete alignment between state power and corporate power. But it's really um, handing it, state power to private power. Which is what neoliberalism does. No, no, but I'm saying that that's not fascism. Fascism is the oversight of private entities. Well, we can get into this conversation. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, like, there are a lot of Latin American fascists and like Pinochet and others were really big on just giving full corporate control. Okay. So it really depends on your, I mean, 
Stuart Parker has some interesting... Okay, yeah. It's not National Socialism. Maybe I'm thinking more about National Socialism as a model of fascism. Yeah, I mean, and then there's that Mussolini quote where he said that fascism is, is, corporate, is corporate control or whatever it was. So yeah. it, you, can, you, you can make an argument that neoliberalism is fascistic. Um, but that's not but what they're doing. We're not, but we're not fighting against 1938. But, but look, to bring like, it back to femininity... Right, <laughs> sorry. When... No, it's yeah. fine. Um... When what, what's that documentary called? Adult human female, yeah, or we are women, or something. It's called adult human female. The adult human female. Posey Parker. Right. The best branding, the best design. Honestly, and they took the it. name and didn't take the the branding. Just, I mean, it's, it's just, just the allowed. lack of. I mean, I just. Think I don't know why you can't just call somebody, have a conversation, and say, "Look, between look, those two camps, let's." But also, I can't hold against people things I said on the internet four years ago. I can't. And I don't care about people's personal views very much. I don't care if Posey Parker buys a kitten every day at the pet shop, burns it alive and eats it and does a ritual to Satan if it's in service of women's rights. (laughs) No, but even if if it's not, like, I don't care. But it's like uh, what's, what individual people do very much. I can't, if, if we're in the political arena together, right? Mm. I'm not thinking about who would I invite to a barbecue at my house. Anyhow, the thing of not wanting to go on Carson Tucker because they said we, it's, it's, it's antithetical to women's rights. Sorry, did I say it again? Tucker. Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Tucker. I'm going to get it branded. Tucker Carlson. <laughs> I was like, I'll just let this one go, and then I couldn't. No. Um, not wanting to go on. Not wanting to go on, and their explanation was, well, it's antithetical for the progression of women's rights to be associated with Tucker Carlson. You are creating an association with him. That's lunacy. Well, You're going on a TV show to say... Oh, hey, because it's the thing. It's a concession of femininity that doesn't work the other way around. Why aren't they thinking, hey, this man with a lot of power, he's he's getting associated with feminism. Yeah. Why isn't that the thought? And it's the same with Angela Nagel. Great book, Kill All Normies. When she interviewed Richard Spencer, the left, who have adopted a similar purity thing as they've slid into liberalism, right? The, the centre-left, basically. Um, and I guess regions of the far left or, but I mean, they're all radical liberals now. Anyhow, um, they said, how could you, Angela Nagel, as a journalist, interview Richard Spencer? This is horrendous, da, da, da. Gary Young, excellent, excellent Guardian journalist, did exactly the same. No criticism. Right. It's because when two men meet, it's a meeting of equals, whereas all the time the assumption is, well, if a man and a woman have a conversation, he defines her yeah and i know that happens most of the time in the social relations in our society but i'm not willing to reproduce the logic and it's not true i have seen some women absolutely wallop men in arguments i've done it myself it's possible and then this it wasn't even an argument it was an interview and she drew him out and the gary young interview i didn't even think was very good uh, at all really although angela nagels was probably better and like why would you not go on Tucker Carlson? It's like when Posey Parker says, like, oh, I'll dance with the devil. I will fillet the devil yeah. for women's rights. What do I care? Yeah. It's nothing to do with me if I can just act. It, it, this has always been the tradition of the left. What? <laughs> me if I give Satan a blowjob? <laughs> I know what I mean. It's not, it's not to do, like, it doesn't rub off on me. 
Like, doesn't mean anything about me, other than I was acting in service of a cause, yeah. which I thought this is a good thing to do to progress this cause. And this has always been the way. When Lenin said, you know, a scoundrel is precisely useful sometimes because they're a scoundrel, yeah. he's correct. He didn't have a girly fit and say, if he's not a nice person, it might make me not look like a nice person. Yeah. Wouldn't I have mean, got very fucking far. But um, Tucker Carlson is the most watched cable news no, cable news show in the world. I'm going to charge the vape. I'll be back in 10 seconds. Carry on. All right. Tucker Carlson is the most popular cable news program. As I said in the world, probably not in the world, but certainly in the US, the rest of them get like the the viewership of like a mid-sized YouTuber, basically. And you know who watches Tucker Carlson every day? Donald Trump. You yeah. could have had the ear of a former president. Probably future president. Probably future president. And you decided not to because why exactly? Because you didn't. What? Because some people might get at you about it or something. Look, one thing you told me uh, that liberals are so worried about being associated with deplorables. Yeah. Well, the people they consider deplorable. Yeah. And it comes from. It's a class thing. Yeah, it's a class it's, thing. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a class thing. It's I don't want to be. I'm particularly white um, middle class people. Um, I'm a white middle class person. I don't want to be seen as those unwashed, unsophisticated, uneducated, uneducated, backwards, religious, um, deplorables. Who watch Tucker Carlson? I'm a evolved superior being. I read The Guardian. And I listen I, to Radio 4. And I listen to Radio 4. It's just elitism. It, it is like uh, disguised as, you know, some kind of ethical position. And it has never been the tradition of the left wing. No. In, you know, the United Front, the Stop the War movement in the UK, it, mm. the idea that anti-war demonstrations in America, anti-war Republicans weren't welcome. Of course they were. Get them on the fucking stage. Well, is it Rand Paul? Yeah. Rand Paul and a lot of the anti-war libertarians still work very closely with like... Yeah. Answer. Mm-hmm. I remember Love Music, Hate Racism when I worked for them. Like, went to 10 Downing Street, shook Gordon Brown's hand. Yeah. I remember working with Tory MPs to put on local Love Music, Hate Racism gigs. And of course, the, the general rule was that they wanted to come along and speak against racism themselves. And even if there were people that were um, on policy, had been very anti-immigration or things we would call racist... The way to win in politics is to take somebody with racist ideas and put them in a context where they change those ideas and action. There is no point saying barrier against you, you're a racist in a racist society, or you're putting a barrier against a lot of people. Yeah. Well, if you if it's just a performance. Exactly. If politics is just a performance and an aesthetic and a, a hobby and, a, you know, it, then it doesn't matter because you don't really care about actually the ideas. And you don't want to win. And you don't want to win. You don't think that's possible. Or you don't actually want the outcome of, I mean, yeah, the collapse of the British National Party in Stoke-on-Trent in 2009 there is a reason why, right? The full wipeout, was, they were in control of the council before. There was a Kelly Rowland headline Love Music Hate Racism concert there the year before. Yeah. Like, if you actually do the work, there's actually these outcomes. And I know that today that seems almost impossible because the left is insane. Yeah. Um, because when women try and self-organise, if, if anywhere on the left, you get attacked by men on the left who either want oversight or to dismantle you. And I'm so glad to see this, you know, 
I don't want to say independent, but like self-organized. Because I actually don't mind if men want to be involved with GCS stuff. Like, why not in Scotland, right? Like, mm. I can't imagine but why it, it is, would be bad. But it, it is women-led. It, it is, is women-led and it's, it's, it's overwhelmingly self-organized. And it's hopefully, it's pretty successful and I think will probably overturn the law. Well, Rishi Sunak might well, come in. Yeah, but it's only because of the hullabaloo yeah. those women made. Yeah. Right? Like, doing what they did in Parliament on the day, that woman who got her murking out. The Hollywood. I always want to say Hollywood, but it's not. Is it Hollywood? It's Hollywood. 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 Sorry. sorry. I'm so sorry to the Scottish people. <laughs> I don't know either. I'm just English. Jeez. I thought you might know more. I've been, I've been like, twice or a few times or something. But yeah, it was the. F- I don't think. I think people. I mean, we're getting into a conversation about this GC stuff now, but like, I think that a lot of um, bourgeois politicians just thought this was like the new cool gay rights. So, like, let's get behind it. Even Tories probably were like, yeah, sure, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be wrong about gay marriage like I was 10 years ago. Sign me up. I don't give a fuck. And now when they see, oh, actually, this is a really unpopular position, and there's this hullabaloo. Um, it really does actually change minds because I think people aren't supporting it out of a genuine desire to put men and women's change rooms. They're supporting it because they think it's the new gay rights. And then they see it's actually, they really overestimate the popularity of these politics. And when they see they're actually very unpopular. As soon as it's tested outside those bubbles, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, women, all those girls that did TikToks about being in Primark and men just opening the curtains and then they're crying and shaking in their car and the staff had to spend 25 minutes calming them down. Yeah. That's one of the girls that's ha- that has happened to that made a TikTok. How many didn't make a TikTok? Yes. Prob- probably quite a few if yeah. one or two already have. Yeah. So. No, I don't think it will ever happen in England. And it looks like um, Keir Starmer is also being like, oops, maybe this wasn't such a good really? idea. Yeah, he just spoke against transitioning children. When? Three, four or five months ago. I don't remember that. I mean, you know, yeah, a lot of people see that as the most urgent thing and where to draw the line. But I don't think the Labour Party are getting elected next time anyhow. So no. I think it's the wilderness for a long I'm not voting for them. I'm a member and I'm not voting for them. No, so. never. They can go and fillet the devil. <laughs> anyway, blowjobs to Satan. <laughs> the end no, of a feminist podcast. We would never do that. I would never. I this is this is not blowjobs. Okay, so, so you're out. <laughs> I'm out. The Satan blowjob <laughs> equation here. All right. Well, tune in soon. Bye bye.